Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. Hello, Flo speaking. Hey, Flo, Greg Hemmings speaking, and Dave Vale. How you doing, man? Hey, guys. How you doing? <laughs> Good. I was wondering if you could do a, a quick uh, intro um, for us and yeah. just tell us a little bit about you and Hitch Planet. Sure. Yeah, so it's, it started with uh, uh, when I moved to Canada in, in back in 2010. I was living in, uh, in the UK at the time, and I decided I'd had enough. Uh, and now with Brexit, I think I probably made the right decision. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, that just um, <laughs> happened. That literally just happened. And, yeah, it literally just happened. So I moved here, and I was, I was going to be here for a one-year working holiday thing. Um, and so I thought, you know, it'd be cool to work half the time and go skiing the other half. So I moved to Vancouver and got a car and, and uh, started doing exactly that. So I was working in the city, um, freelance as a freelance graphic designer. And, and then I was uh, going skiing uh, during the weekend, long weekends and holidays. And so I was driving the, the Sea to Sky, which is the highway between Vancouver and Whistler. And uh, it, it happens that there's, a, there's a, a lot of people trying to get to Whistler um, from the side of the road. Uh, in other words, hitchhiking, right? So I've, I've always been a, a big fan of things like hitchhiking and mm-hmm. top surfing. And mm-hmm. so whenever there's someone on the side of the road and, and they don't look too sketchy, um, I, I pick them up. So that's what I did. So I did it once, I did it twice, I did it several times and, and realized by talking to them that there was a, a real transportation challenge on, on that highway. Um, there was there were really few options, only few options to get up to Whistler and and all of them were slow uh, and costly, which is why people hitchhike. Um, so I thought, hmm, well, this is a bit, this is a bit silly. There's got to be a way to to patch up that problem and actually get more people to hitchhike to see this guy. And so, because uh, I had a lot of time on my hands, and I was pretty keen on on learning a bit of uh, web development at the time. So I undertook the the project of building a, a digital hitchhiking like bulletin board. Um, so I did that and I built it in, in about a couple of weeks and launched it as a Hitch Whistler. And that was the, uh, the first version of, of Hitch Planet. So that was so, between Vancouver and Whistler on the Sea of Sky. That is so cool. The guest we just had before was talking about problem solving and, and innovation and stuff. And so you, so you see a challenge, a problem there, and it just, it just came to you. And you, so you create this. Yeah. And so how, how from, the, from, from someone wanting to use it, like how would it, how would, how, maybe explain to the listeners how it would work and to us, how, how it actually works. So when the first version was was very different, obviously than the version we have online now, um, the the basic idea at the beginning was was just to let people uh, find other people that needed to go to Whistler. So as I said, it was just a bulletin board where you would you'd say, "Hey, I'm driving tomorrow, um, and here's my phone number," um, and then people needing a ride could call you or or email you through the site, and that was basically it. Um, now the site's evolved quite a bit since because it's been uh, almost six years now, which is a bit daunting. Uh, but yeah, the site's evolved quite a bit now, and now we operate as, a, as an online marketplace. So uh, you can go on the site and you can see people driving like you used, you used to back in the day, but now you can book your seats online. 
Really? And, and the reason the, the reason why we've taken that approach is because it, it creates accountability in the system. So we found that with the previous version of, of the site, we had a, a lot of people who indicated they wanted to go somewhere, but didn't actually show up. Um, so now that we've got an online booking piece in place, people actually show up. So it and is increases there, reliability. Yeah. Is, there, is there an e-commerce side to this as well, or is it strictly like rideshare, uh, free of charge type of scenario? Yeah, so uh, the only service we provide is is ride sharing, uh, and it is it is an e-commerce platform in the sense that uh, you have people offering rides, uh, which would be the supply, and then you have people looking for rides, which is the demand, um, and they meet on the site, and the transaction uh, happens on the site. So, say you're a driver wanting to get from, I'm taking an example in the maritime, so you can relate to it a bit uh, from, uh, let's say from Fredericton to Charlottetown. Say, hey, I'd like to. I'd like to, you know, get a few people in my car to help with the cost. Um, you post a price per seat, let's say twenty dollars for, for the sake of argument. Um, a passenger would go on the platform and they would book they would book their seats online, so they'd pay twenty dollars plus a fifteen percent booking fee, and that's that's actually where we monetize the platform. Got so, it. Um, they would pay twenty three dollars. Twenty dollars would the full twenty dollars that the, the driver demanded would go back to them, and then we'd keep three dollars as a as a service fee to. To run the service. This is awesome. Now, is this one of the first in its space? You know, of course, there's a lot of different platforms like this. You know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, Couchsurfers, uh, Airbnb, yeah. and Uber, and all, all these different type of platforms. But what you're doing with the hitchhiking rideshare, it's and you've been doing this for a number of years now. Would, would you be one mm-hmm. of the first in the market? Well, I think back in 2010, in this part of the world, yes. Uh, so in the Pacific Northwest, there was no such thing as, as digital hitchhiking or, I mean, ride sharing was not even something that people really knew about. Uber was in its very early stages and didn't exist in Canada. So it was, I think it was pretty revolutionary. Now, uh, since 2010, the, the market's caught up quite a bit. So as you said, there's a lot of, of different options. Um, and we do have uh, competition in, in Canada. Uh, in particular, in Quebec, there's a there's a company called um, uh, Kangaride or Amigo Express in French that's been doing this for ten years now, and they're extremely popular with the Québécois. So it's it's a concept that's popular in in Quebec, but also in in other parts of the world. In in Europe, there's a a really really large uh, company that does this uh, called Blablacar, and and Blablacar have to give you an idea of their scale. They have 25 million users now in 19 countries. Wow! And, 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 and a great example of a company we've never heard of. Yeah. And 25 million customers. Incredible. Yeah, it's crazy, huh? It's because it's just it's just on the other side of the pond, so right. um, you just don't know about it. But it's it's something that's extremely popular in other parts of the world. So our our goal is to make it popular here in North America. Right. Um, so we're starting off with Western Canada because that's where we came from. Right. Um, we've now expanded to the Maritimes. Uh, so we have a, a nice coast-to-coast uh, um, approach, I guess, now. And, and then we'd like to expand to the States in the, in the near future. Well, and, and I noticed here in our, our notes, it says you have 30,000 members in Canada. Um, yeah. And, and I'm, you know, and maybe since maybe it's grown since this was we got the, these notes. How did how did you find uh, like how do members I mean, I guess, how did you grow? It says organically here, but I'm just kind of curious about that because, you know, there's a there's a lot of great ideas out there. But to get to get a nice, strong base of members or it, it can be challenging. So what was how did you go about that? Uh, there's no secret. It's basically time, uh, time and and building a really great product. So. 
the growth comes from within the inside when when you provide something that people actually want to use. Um, so we've been focusing the last 18 months since we relaunched at Pitch Planet in and really building a platform that's just extremely user-friendly and that offers the, the the types of functionality that people actually need. So it's been a lot of grinding and refining and iterating and talking to customers and right. and really honing in on that on that idea of providing a, an excellent service. Um, and and then once once someone gets a, a positive experience with a platform, then they talk about it. Right. And that's so- the beautiful thing is is you don't really need to do a whole lot of marketing when when you do these kinds of things, as long as the customers that you get in are happy with, with your, the product or the service you provide, they will talk about it and they will refer people. And that's, that's your best engine of growth there. That, well, that's, that's cool. I mean, that says a lot about what you're doing and it sounds like it's, it's you know, and as you say, the kind of grind of making it more effectively. And I just think about mm-hmm. in my company, we, we, we just started using a, a, a software platform and, and we, you know, and I'm learning a lot about this idea of building like a, an MVP, a minimal viable product and, yeah. and then, and then getting feedback and growing. And what I found interesting, I just, I'd love your kind of your perspective on this flow is, <clears throat> is what I thought initially would be really popular with our customers, you know, aren't as popular. And then things that I never even considered people are asking for that we're now building in these, these next releases. So like, what did you learn? I mean, you know, from the guy that, that, you know, kind of from concept to actually, you know, here's what this, you know, this, this particular application is, you know, hugely helpful. Like, like I mean, well, I like, that, were you surprised by anything along the way? So I think, I think the first thing that you touched on is, is, Basically, when you're going through this process, you have to remove any ego from the process mm-hmm. because people will people will tell you what they want, um, and if if you don't listen to them, I think you have very few chances of succeeding. But if you do listen to them, it's extremely powerful because then you can actually provide them with something they actually want. Um, so that's that's the approach we've been taking. Uh, in terms of of the things that blew us away uh, uh, during this process, there's there's not really been uh, a lot of a lot of things we've had we've had to change considerably. Like we've kept with the same vision of providing a you know kind of like a long distance travel platform for people. Uh, but I think the, the one thing I would like to mention is is we when we started building this as an MVP, um, it was very closed. So um, you can do there's a lot of things that weren't visible to, to other members within the platform, and there wasn't a lot of flexibility in the system. And, and the more and more we went through this, you know, customer discovery process, the more we realized that you need to you need to give people tools to express themselves, and you need to let people do things they actually want to do. So, just a, a really low-level example, but for instance, uh, when we built our search, you know, you build a search, and the MVP approach would be, hey, so you want to go from again Fredericton to Moncton on June 18th, or something like that. Um, but people actually want to see all the trips leaving from Fredericton because they just want to go on a weekend getaway, right? So these are the types of things that you don't really know about until right. they launch. And then people start using your platform in ways that you didn't predict. Right. Um, so in this case, it was how do we provide a, a discovery aspect to the search so that if someone does want to get out of town for the weekend, they can see all the options leaving from their city. Um, and then you can do some cool stuff, uh, cool stuff around that. Are you, what are you noticing about your members as it relates to, you know, like, is there a certain demographic that seems to be more, you know, kind of intrigued and be using this more than others? Or like, what, is there a lot of diversity in your members? Like what, what, what do you learn about the membership? 
yeah, the, the beautiful thing with uh, with early adopters is you just you just don't know really why they're early adopters. So I don't know how familiar you're with the concept of, of adoption of a product, but you're going to have your early adopters, which are about 15% of the population, and and they they're going to be using your your service or product for for a variety of reasons. But from a demographics perspective, it, it's really hard to to tell who they're going to be. So we've got people that have been using this that are anywhere from uh, a college student to a retired person to right, eh? someone who's divorced and needs to go and see their kids in a different city for the weekend. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's all over the map. Um, we, uh, right now we have uh, more, more male than female using the service, but we found that the female or female drivers in particular are a lot more reliable than our male drivers. So, you know, you, you go through this process of kind of, you know, discovering your, your users and trying to make sense of it, which is, which is really, really quite difficult. And of course, there's probably a point uh, scale here too, where both the driver and the passenger are probably being scored by, by each other. Is that, would, would that be the case as yeah. well to keep people accountable? I've got a question for you yeah. when it comes to, I guess what we're calling the share, the shared economy, the sharing economy. Um, why is that happening now? Like, why are these technologies really uh, helping people connect this way and share their resources? And why is that important today and not ten years ago? Yeah, it's. I think it's. It's all due to social online reputation, uh, as as services like Facebook and LinkedIn and, and Google become more and more prominent. People are are able to link those accounts and into. It's basically anything. So uh, it means that you know you can build a product that links into someone's Facebook account, and then all of a sudden you can you can show all, all the friends that person has within that service. So it it, it builds that that reputation system from the inside that that makes people trust each other. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of that going on, uh, and then providing the right technological tools that have the right kinds of services. Um, so we don't really have a, a lot of, you know, things like GPS tracking and all that, but uh, larger companies like Uber do that. So they have, they have technological solutions to, to ensuring that, that you have a safe experience. Right. Um, so no. when you add all these things together, it kind of it creates this, this sense of trust in the system. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering about the GPS side, you know, the fact that probably mo- well, all, all of your drivers would probably be operating off a smartphone yeah, would that be a, yeah. a pretty large, uh, you know, tech play to be able to integrate that in? So when you're on, bam, you know, uh, you know, it, it shows your location to your your. Uh, I guess it's less important though, in a way, because you're setting up these drives a day before or a few hours mm-hmm. before. Where Uber, it's or Lyft, if you want to ride, you want to see who's closest to you. And that's why that matters. Yeah. Maybe it matters less for for this sort of product to have that GPS. Yeah. yeah, we don't we don't really have the the need for for a real time component um, up until, as you said, the people actually have to meet. So a cool application of uh, of a GPS feature would be to to facilitate people finding each other on the day. But as you said, uh, people organize rides in advance because you know you don't. You don't plan to go on a trip to to Montreal last minute. I mean, you might, but most people would know a few days in advance, so they would post the trip several days in advance, and the people would book, and then they'd have time to discuss. And it's it's not really something that's done in real time. 
Um, so we, we don't really have that. We, we kind of think it would be maybe a bit more useful for, for enhanced safety so that we can kind of have check-in points during the trip with, uh, with the driver and the passenger and, and kind of have their whereabouts on record, uh, you know, just, just to provide that extra layer of security. Yes. It's safety. And, uh, yeah. you, you mentioned, uh, trust earlier and I, I used to be a big time hitchhiker and I just remember like spending hours and hours on the side of the road waiting for something to pick up. And like, I, yeah. I, even, I even hitchhiked down to Florida once from Southern Ontario and that was really something. Um, and, and the weirdest people pick you up. <laughs> so it's like a two way trust thing. Right? Yeah. But when people are driving past you, there's zero way to validate what, what level of trustworthiness you are, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's a problem. Because it's yeah, yeah. You, people like you and I, we might be comfortable picking up any old hitchhiker, no problem. But that's not the norm. I think hitchhikers typically pick up other hitchhikers, and that's why I pick yeah. up hitchhikers. But I wouldn't do it with my kids in the car, <laughs> you know. So this is really cool because the function of hitchhiking is incredibly important because not everybody can afford a car, not everybody wants to buy a car, and guess what? The, le- the less cars we have on the road, the better. So yeah, but making hitchhiking safe. And a trusting experience is is really where you guys are, and that's uh, and that's really disruptive. <laughs> you know, that's uh, that's bringing validity and, and trust back into hitchhiking, and I think it's uh, it's such a win all the way around. And I, I like you said, that's why uh, integrating the Facebook and and Twitter or whatever your online reputations and to back you up. Mm-hmm. What an interesting thought that is! Mm-hmm. Like how important mm-hmm. your your online presence is in. In creating that trust layer on the outside, like that's that's big picture stuff that none of us probably thought of when we started playing around with Facebook and Twitter. You know, yeah, that's cool. Well, it's, it's pretty powerful if you think about it, because uh, when you build when you're building a platform from scratch, you you know it's it's really hard for for people who sign up to that platform to have credentials because mm. they're brand new to the platform. But mm-hmm. um, if you link the platform with uh, an existing platform where they do have social credentials, then and then all of a sudden, they, you know, you can display those credentials onto your own platform, and, and that gives, gives them a, a kickstart into into building reputation within the system. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll also mention quickly that um, we also have um, uh, a feedback system. So when you go on a on a ride with someone, uh, you can feedback on your experience on their profile afterwards. So we have the reputation system that's based on you know your credentials from other platforms, but we also have our own reputation. System reputation system within the inside mm-hmm. so you can you can leave a, a, a rating and a comment uh, on your driver or on your passengers after you go on a trip so that builds uh, the reputation within the system in the sense that you know how reliable or not reliable people are so you can make a judgment on, on actually you know taking them in your car or going in their car I'm, you know, it's funny. I'm going back to all those 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 hitchhiking moments you have over over a lifetime, right? And I'm thinking of a couple in particular. One when I my car broke down in Southern Yukon. I'm from I'm from Whitehorse Yukon, flow originally. Oh wow! Yeah, mom and dad still live up there, and I bought a car for my father after crashing a car in Vancouver, and I was away in Asia. I come back, and I'm I'm driving down, and I it breaks in near Watson Lake, if you're familiar with that, southern Yukon, and I end up having, I end up selling it to this mechanic, and I have to hitchhike home, and it's 28 below, 
and, and I'm out and it's this crystal clear day, but no one's picking me up. And I'm like, finally, I'm like, geez, I'm you're trying to do everything to create some trustworthiness or credibility, like to your point around on the system. But, but so the driver sees yeah. you. So I, I end up taking off, like I'm wearing this black toque. I'm like, well, maybe it's a toque. Well, my ears are freezing. Cause I just, maybe if people see me, they'll, they'll actually stop. <laughs> so, so the guy that finally stops is this guy who's a physician going to Alaska. And, and I, and I was frozen and I go in, I open the door. And like, if I, if I had read his online profile, I would never jumped in because he's got like 20 cats in the car and I'm deathly allergic to cats. Uh, so, and I just said, oh, well, screw it. And I, and it's so cold. He didn't want me to undo 20 cats in his car. Well, I'm lying. Like maybe three, but I mean, like who travels with three cats in their car? Like it just, it felt like it was 20. So, I mean, my asthma's kicking in and I'm just like, I don't, but you're we, alive we and got, you're here to tell well, the story. I'm warm is the most important thing and I'm going in the right direction. So, um, I would have been all over Hitch Planet back in the day. Um, Flo, thank you so much for sharing your story. One last question um, as we, we leave here um, is um, for you, when you look back on this journey, you know, from this, from concept to, to actually, uh, um, you know, putting this out and being six years down the road, what has been like the biggest learning for you that you can share with our listeners who maybe have a great idea that they're thinking of, of, um, you know, getting out into the marketplace? Probably to surround yourself with other people that want to do it with you because at first you're kind of on your own. You have a crazy idea and you make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of, you kind of think you can do it all, but you realize as soon as you get the right people on board to, to help you bring that vision, vision to life, it just, it just starts growing way quicker. So very cool. Really, really try and partner with, uh, these are really good friends that you have, or old business part, old uh, colleagues, or business partners, and and try and try and build a, a solid team of people to have share the same vision because that's that's when it starts becoming a, a real thing and having more than one brain really really helps. Nice, well, I think that's that's awesome. Flo, what's the best way for people to stay in touch with you? Um, so uh, you can um, follow us on our social media if you'd like to. Follow the uh, the Hitch Planet uh, development in the next few months. Uh, we're uh, anywhere from Facebook to Twitter to Instagram. Um, and then, if you personally want to want to hear more about about the story, or if you'd like to get in touch, uh, you can use the the contact form on our website. And those emails actually still go to me, so I read the awesome. you know, most of the emails that that come through our site. And and uh, we're always looking for talent and and people who want to get involved. So. That is feel, awesome. Feel free to reach out. That is fantastic. Yeah. Well, listen, man, thank you so much for uh, for spending time. And I can't wait. Did you did you say it was in the Maritimes already? Yeah, yeah. So we so we actually Brunswick? acquired a we acquired a small website called Maritime Rideshare. That's right. Um, and this is brand new news because like within the last yeah. year, right? Yeah, it happened in. April. Well, that's for, okay. It's all coming together because I used to live in Halifax, of course, and that, yeah. that was early, early days of this stuff. Okay, so you guys acquired them. Okay, got it. Yes. So there's we, we added about eight thousand people in the Maritimes to, to the platform as a result. So there's there's trips going uh, all over the Maritimes and uh, all the way to, to Quebec and and Ontario. So and up to the check Utah? it out. Like it's it's. Uh, well, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Are you driving anytime soon? Uh, not, not in the next couple of months, that's for sure. But I'll let you know if I am. Thank you so much, Flo. Hey, listen, best of luck. Looking forward to checking this out and sharing this out in the community. And um, really appreciate you sharing your, your thoughts and, and lots of wisdom there, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for the inspiration, well, Flo. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. All, All right, right, man. Take care. Yeah. Right yeah. Cheers. Bye.
That was awesome. Oh man. The thing, the thing I love about this stuff, because you're getting into building a platform yourself. Yeah. And you're in the coaching business, a very analog face-to-face business, but you are finding ways to use technology to advance Huge. that. Totally. And I'm not there yet, but I'm constantly thinking that. Like, how can we use technology to help our business in film? You know, and this guy's just a hitchhiker who wanted to ski more, you know? This is, I love that stuff. No, I, you know, and, and the fact that, um, you know, I just, I, I mean, for me, I always, I don't know, I just get energized by thinking, you know, someone's, you know, going skiing and, and recognizing a problem that's existing on the, and I know that highway well, you yeah. know, the Sea to Sky Highway. And, and then that becomes the, you know, the genesis of this kind of really cool company that's doing stuff now across yeah, Canada, country, you know, so good for him. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was, that was, I mean, just that kind of idea, actually it kind of, like bridges back to another conversation we had with Janet Scott yep. about the idea of like you know this guy generated an idea but he went right through to implementation. That's right. And uh, so I look forward to checking out his website. So um, fun. Yeah. And we and we get to look forward to next week. Next week talking to some really cool acres and acres and acres of coolness. That's right. We'll leave it. That'll be a good tease. <laughs> All right, man. Talk to you later. See you, bye. Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit Hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening and remember, keep that pot boiling. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback.